We continue with the Old Testament lesson, which you'll note is a responsive reading today. And we'll be led in this responsive reading by Carol. This is from Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make make a a joyful joyful noise noise to the the rock of of our our salvation. salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God. And a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. O oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let, let us, us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and in the sheep of his hand. O oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let, let us, us make, make a, a joyful, joyful noise to the rock of our, our salvation. salvation. The epistle is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel pointed for this Sunday is from the Gospel of St. Matthew, the fourth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed, followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is the gospel of the Lord. 
Praise to you, O Christ. Well, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text that I've selected for this morning's message as we celebrate Lutheran Education Week is the gospel lesson that you heard read just a few moments ago. But I want to pick up again with verse 18 and read verse 18 and on onwards for you. We read from Matthew 4. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were cast in a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed Jesus. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. This is our text. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, dear dear friends in Christ, we are in the middle of the Epiphany season. The Epiphany season, or the word Epiphany, actually means to shine forth, to manifest, or to reveal. In the Greco-Roman world, an Epiphany referred to the appearance of one of the gods to mortals. The Epiphany of our Lord Jesus Christ is the Christian festival that celebrates the way that Jesus reveals himself to us through signs and miracles and preaching. And he reveals himself to be the savior of the world, God incarnate, the king of kings. The epiphany season is actually actually an extraordinary and even entertaining time in the church, in the church year. For we hear God's booming voice from heaven shout, this is my beloved son. We see Jesus turn water into wine. We hear of Jesus walking on the water. We hear of Jesus calming wild storms with a simple command, be still. We hear of Jesus casting out demons. He heals people suffering from severe pain and paralysis and seizures. Not to mention blindness and deafness and leprosy. And to top it all off, Jesus visits with Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's an exciting, entertaining time in the church year. And what is common to all of these epiphanies is that in one way or another they make known the identity and the mission of Jesus Christ. They reveal to us that he is true man and true God, born into this sinful world to be the Lord and the Savior of all people. But in addition to his spectacular miracles and his insightful and challenging preaching and teaching, Jesus' person and purpose as Savior is made visible, it's revealed, it's epiphanized, if I can make up a word, through the preaching and teaching and speaking of ordinary people. I mean, it was aged Simeon who held the eight-day Christ-old child in his arms and said, 
to the Lord, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of the people Israel. The prophet Anna was also there in the temple that day. And she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward for the redemption of Jerusalem. On the day of Epiphany, which is January 6th in the church calendar, we heard of Magi from the east who came in search of the king of the Jews to worship him. Last Sunday, John the Baptist pointed at Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, for he's the one that takes away the sins of the world. And now today, Jesus himself proclaims, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The king has come, and he, of course, is the king. And the kingdom has arrived in him. And we're told that Jesus then went around throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And as Jesus begins his earthly ministry, he invites, come. Come and follow me. I mean, what an invitation. And then he says, and I will make you fishers of men. What a commission. Now, in Jesus' selection of Peter and James and John and Andrew, we see God's grace, his undeserved favor at work. I mean, of all the people that Jesus could have selected, he chose these men to speak of him, to preach, to teach, to manifest him as the Savior of the world. Now, who were these men that they should be given such an honor from our, from our Lord? Well, there really wasn't anything remarkable about them. I mean, they might have been skilled fishermen. They may have managed a lucrative small fishing business that put food on the table, but they were not religious scholars. They hadn't studied at a renowned rabbinical school in Jerusalem, or anywhere for that matter. They were just regular, ordinary guys who were longing for the arrival of the promised Savior of the world. I came upon a fictitious memo sent to Jesus Christ from a Jerusalem Employment Recruiting Services Agency that provides an opinion on Jesus' list of potential disciples. The fictional memo states... Thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men that you have selected for management positions in your new organization. All of them have taken our battery of tests, and we have run the results through our computer. And it's our opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background for the type of work that you're asking them to undertake. Simon Peter is too emotionally unstable. Andrew is too introverted. James and John place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would undermine morale. Matthew has been blacklisted by our Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau for being a corrupt tax collector. James and Thaddeus register high on the manic depressive scale. Simon the Zealot is a political operative. Bartholomew lacks ambition and would rather sit under a tree meditating. But one of the candidates does show great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness. He meets people and he's a keen business 
business mind. He's highly motivated as well as ambitious and responsible. We commend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. This memo and a reading of the four Gospels reminds us how common and ordinary Jesus' disciples are. And yet, from, from them, from this core, a movement spreads across the earth. Jesus reveals himself to others through them and through other ordinary people. It was Andrew saying to his brother Peter, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And then Andrew brought Peter to Jesus to meet him. It was a Samaritan woman of ill repute who said to her fellow citizens in Sychar, he, Jesus, told me everything that I ever did. And we're told that many of the Samaritans believed in Jesus because of this woman's testimony. It was a blind man who had his eyes opened, not just physically but spiritually, who said to the Pharisees, do you want to become his disciples too? It was a deacon named Stephen who, with his dying breath, prayed, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. And as he fell on his knees, dying because he was being stoned to death, he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against those who are killing me. His witness was powerful. It was St. Paul who says of his own witness, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. But not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Yes, Jesus' disciples tend to be just kind of ordinary people. Men and women who aren't spectacular really in any way. Paul says to the Christians in Corinth, for instance, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before him. And it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom of God. That is, he is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. And therefore it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Come, follow me. Jesus still issues that call today to ordinary people. I mean... To you and me. I mean, who are we that Jesus would invite us to come follow me? Who are we that he should commission us? I will make you fishers of men. And yet Jesus does just that. We might say that our baptism is our ordination, if you will, into the priesthood of all believers. Our baptism is our enlistment as fishers of men who are sent out to cast the gospel net. Our baptism is our commissioning to go and tell Jesus' story of forgiveness to other people, to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our students, to our classmates. 
Some of you may have read or continue to read the Dennis the Menace comics. Dennis the Menace in one of the comics is speaking to a friend while Mr. Wilson is mowing his lawn in the background. And Dennis says, don't ever play hide-and-go-seek with Mr. Wilson. He don't seek. He don't seek. Now, how might that statement of Dennis the Menace describe you and me? Have we bought the lie perpetrated by Satan that sin isn't a serious offense and worthy of God's eternal condemnation? Have we caved to public pressure to keep our faith personal and private to ourselves? Have we allowed our fear of being rejected by people around us, maybe our family, our friends, have we allowed that fear to silence us? Jesus' invitation and commissioning is not a game. It's a matter of death or life. It's a matter of hell or heaven. And you see, Jesus desires to proclaim his good news to the poor. He desires to bind up the brokenhearted. He desires to proclaim freedom for the captives and the prisoners from the darkness. He desires that all people would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth that he loves them and forgives them with for his death on the cross. He desires that everyone would know that death has been defeated once and for all with his own resurrection from the dead. And so he calls broken and imperfect people like you and me. And first of all, he forgives us of our own sin. He assures us that the blood of Christ cleanses us of our sin. He promises us that we too have the hope of everlasting life, that we will live with the Lord forever in the glories of heaven because of, again, Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And then he sends us. He sends us to be fishers of men. What a privilege. What undeserved grace. Louis Palau, in his book, Where is God When Bad Things Happen, tells the story of David Jones' sister, whose name is Linda. Linda is a mentally challenged woman. When she was in her 20s, she was placed in a special school for adults and really a special home for adults experiencing intellectual disabilities. And even though Linda became a full-time resident at that school, her mother and father still had the attitude, we're a family, and as a family, we go together to church on Sunday. Well, arrangements were made so that family, friends, or someone else would pick up Linda and take her to Sunday worship. And Linda was always excited about being with her family and going to worship. And she would return home, back to her school, eager to teach her classmates some songs that she had learned. And soon, Linda's roommates grew jealous. They didn't like the idea that Linda got to go away to church and that they didn't get to go. They wanted to go too. And so Linda's dad and another man convinced the congregation that it needed to form a special education class within their Sunday school program. And soon, two large vans full of residents from Linda's home were being taken to church every Sunday. Well, this church was large. It had multiple services. And many of the members were unaware of the program for adults like Linda. 
And one Sunday, David Jones was at that church with his wife because they were visiting Linda and the rest of the family. And as they were just getting ready to listen to the sermon, the door into the sanctuary opened. And I'll let David tell the story. He writes, suddenly from a single door, stage left, some 40 to 50 mentally handicapped people started marching into the sanctuary. It was right before the morning message. And I looked around first at the choir and saw looks of horrific shock as worshipers stared at these extremely handicapped people. I watched as a Sunday school teacher and a couple social workers tried to get all of these disabled adults to line up in front of the podium. And it seemed like an eternity. But the workers finally got everyone lined up and calmed down. And then suddenly one of them yelled, Oh no, I've got to go to the bathroom. And after several more minutes, the workers again managed to get everyone calmed down and lined up. Jones continues. And then the most amazing thing happened. Suddenly they all started singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Remember, most of these people could hardly talk. And the joy in their faces, they were so proud and they beamed from ear to ear. It was incredible, such joy, such enthusiasm. It was one of the most beautiful numbers I've ever heard. And I looked up at the choir and before where there had been horrific looks of shock, now there wasn't a dry eye in the loft. And people sobbed openly. Others with tears streaming down their cheeks were mouthing the words, Jesus loves me. It was found out later that it was Linda, this brain-dead, can't-survive, incredibly handicapped young lady who had taught her friends how to sing that song, Jesus Loves Me. Linda had learned that song from her mom many years earlier, and now she had taught it to her friends. Come, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Linda, with all of her challenges, heeded the call of Jesus. And using the gifts that God gave to her, she caught a net full of people. And then they too responded to Jesus' call to be disciples, to be fishers of men. And they too cast the gospel net into the world. Jesus works through ordinary people, ordinary settings. I mean, he even makes, he even chooses to make himself known in a little school on the corner of Oakwood and Julia. To look at the school, there's not much to it. Resources are certainly limited. Doesn't have a big gym, concert hall, myriad of programs. But it does have dedicated teachers who love their Lord and who love to serve the children that they've been called to teach. And they have eager children who attend the school, who are eager to learn and grow and understand more about the God who created them and the Savior who loves them and the Holy Spirit who walks with them and is with them each and every day. And it's a place, isn't it? ISJ Academy, where faith is nurtured, Jesus' love is shared, 
hope in Christ is declared. And there's an everlasting joy that fills the hearts of teachers and staff and students, even when they're going about the most mundane activities in class. And it's through ISJ Academy that Jesus prepares people to be fishers of men. We don't have to be a super Christian to be a witness of Christ, to be one of the fishers of men. We don't need to have some spell-bounding, riveting story to tell how Jesus did some mighty work in our life. We don't need to have a number of degrees behind our name in order to tell people the simple story that Jesus loves them. This I know because the Bible tells me so. No, your story may just be like mine. Kind of boring, really. Born into a Christian home. Baptized at only three months old. Attended Sunday school and worship. Spoke and sang the same liturgy Sunday after Sunday after Sunday for years on end. Had faithful Sunday school teachers teaching me the Word of God. And through that, God strengthened me in my faith. And he got me through my trials and tribulations, which were just ordinary trials and tribulations. And here I am today, loved and forgiven by my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, called to be a fisher of men. Jesus speaks through you too. Young or old, educated or not, rich or poor, pastor or lay, it doesn't really matter. He just calls you and me. He says, come, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And we know Jesus' story. We know that Jesus, the Son of God, came into this world, that he was born of a virgin Mary, that he was given the name Jesus because he would save people from their sins. We know that Jesus lived that perfect life that we could never live, and that he ultimately, in his obedience, died on a cross to forgive us of all of our sins so that we live in God's boundless and forgiving love each and every day. We know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and we have that wonderful Easter story to tell to people who have no hope that Jesus is their hope because he has not only conquered death, but he lives with us and walks with us daily. That's the story that we know and that's the story that we own and that's the story that we share. And we tell that story. Maybe set within the midst of our brokenness of life. It's not a story that makes everything all right in our life, does it? There's still many problems that we experience. Some of us know that story and we love that story and we love our Savior and we know that He loves us and that He forgives us and yet we're still going through a marriage dissolution. But He gives us the strength and the hope to go through it and we can share that with others. We may be losing the struggle with cancer and know that our days are numbered, but we know that Jesus walks with us through that valley of the shadow of death. We might even be grieving the death of someone that we love or a loss of a relationship, and we know again that our living Lord and Savior promises us hope. We may be tussling with mental illness, anxiety, depression, or any other number of problems, and yet we know that Jesus' word speaks to our heart and brings us comfort and hope. We may be in the first stages of Alzheimer's, not even necessarily remembering what it is that we heard here in the church once we walk out the doors or even knowing who our family members are at times and yet we know that God's Spirit speaks to our spirit 
And we may have lapsed into a habitual sinful behavior for which we've asked God's Spirit to help us overcome and we keep falling back into it and we keep having to go back to Jesus' throne of grace and say, Jesus, please forgive me. Yes, we may find ourselves in the brokenness of life and yet in the midst of all of that, we still know Jesus loves us because the Bible tells us so. We know that Jesus loves us because he promised to love us when he baptized us, when he placed his mark upon us. We know that he loves us because we hear his word of forgiveness spoken by me, the pastor, and by you as well, sharing that forgiveness with one another. We know he forgives us and loves us because we often come to the Lord's table and hear his words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And many of these things go on across the way in ISJ. As God's people, maybe little people, share the love of Jesus with one another in prayer and song and words of encouragement. And Jesus, our Savior, thereby gives us reason at ISJ here at this church, in our life, wherever it is that God takes us in our daily vocation. But he gives us reason to rejoice always, to pray continually, and to give thanks in all circumstances, and to speak of the hope that we have in Christ to others. Yes, to be a fisher of men is as simple as John the Baptist pointing the finger and saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's as simple as a, as maybe an introverted Andrew saying to his brother Peter, Come and see Jesus. I think he's the Messiah. It's as simple as a group of people singing, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. And you see, Jesus issues to you and me this invitation. Come, follow me. And then he sends us as fishers of men. And that's Jesus' call on our life. That's our purpose, really, for living. That's our purpose for existing as a congregation called St. James. And that's the reason for ISJ Academy. To prepare Jesus' disciples to be fishers of men, and to epiphanize the message of Jesus' love and forgiveness in our lives. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding keep and guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.